Hello everyone, I hope that you had a great Thanksgiving weekend. So guess what, I voted. First time I left an election, not really sure I made the right choice. I'm going to end with that at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, here's what happened this week. All right, let's start with an update on China. So last week we talked almost entirely about China. And if you missed that, please go back and listen to it. It was called Don't Join the Red Guard. We also talked about Hong Kong and the people fighting to keep their rights after Britain basically abandoned them to communist China. So this week, one person from the NBA tweeted his support for freedom and for Hong Kong. China said, hey, we're not happy with that, and the NBA basically kissed their commie boots, apologized, begged for forgiveness, even shut down American press who were asking questions about it. Now, why? Why would the NBA, made up of Americans who live in freedom, be afraid of the Communist Party in China? It's all about the money, and it always is. If China shuts them down, they will lose most of their revenue. Plus, they won't be able to make their products for dirt cheap before selling them to us at a very overpriced cost. So, in order to keep their money flowing, the NBA is siding with communist dictators over the citizens fighting for freedom. Literally, a country that has actual concentration camps right now full of Muslims and yes the NBA is going to side with those people and this matters to us actually especially a lot right now during this election time you see we have a massive debt here in Canada we have a debt to the amount of 768 billion dollars and basically our debt is unpayable and almost all the parties want to add to that debt Guess who owns a lot of our debt? China. And they have plans and we better do what they say or they might call in our debt or refuse to continue to lend to us. So if we don't get rid of this debt, we will be right where the NBA is, kissing commie boots and doing their bidding. All right, in another really weird election story, CBC sued the Conservative Party for using clips from their newscast in an ad. First of all, clips from the news are definitely fair use. You can't take like a whole newscast and say it's the one you did, but you can totally take a short clip and use it, especially if you have the network printed on the screen, which the Conservative Party did. They actually used clips from all of the media sources, but only the CPC is suing them. Now, this gets even more weird because Rosemary Borton herself is part of the lawsuit. The day this lawsuit was released, Rosemary was a moderator at the debate. Now, moderators are supposed to be fair and balanced. How can Rosemary be considered fair and balanced if she was personally suing one of the candidates? But this election, I've been thinking about something else. I've been thinking, actually, about a part of our election process that I had not really thought about before. Even though I grew up in Newfoundland, I've spent my entire voting adult life in Ontario or in the United States. But when I was in the United States, I had an Ontario voting address. 
What I've never really thought about before was how much pandering is done in Ontario and how much the voices of most Canadians really don't matter. I thought about this more after the American election when they were all complaining about the Electoral College. I decided to look into the Electoral College. Why does America have it? And what's the difference between the American and the Canadian election as far as province rights versus state rights? All right, here's what I found. When the American founding fathers were deciding what kind of government they would have, they thought at first about a monarchy. Actually, George Washington was offered the crown, but refused. They also thought about a pure democracy. But there are problems with a pure democracy. And the founding fathers wrote about this in the federal papers number 8, 9, 10, 22, and 25. And if you haven't read some federal papers, they're very interesting, especially if you like history and politics. Now, the founding fathers looked at history to know what to do. And by the way, a very wise thing to do, to look at history. If we look to history more often, we might not make the same mistakes over and over. So they looked to history. Since they were leaving a monarchy and looking for something else, one of the things they looked to was the history of Greece. Now, here is the history specifically that they thought about. You see, in Greece, there was a 27-year war, and the war was between two groups, the Athens and the Spartans. Now, the Athens were pure democracy, and the Spartans were more of an oligarchy. The problem was when the Athens had power, they would vote with democracy to take the land away from the landowners. They also would kill the landowners. So they stole and killed people, but they voted first. So this went back and forth. And the founding fathers looked at this exact time in history and saw that pure democracy could actually be bad. You could vote as a group to do things that hurt another group of people. There had to be a way to vote, but at the same time, have a way to make sure that different groups were protected. When America became a country, it started with 13 colonies. These were like 13 different tiny countries that had all been under the crown, but still basically ruling themselves. Asking them to all join together was not an easy thing to do. Each colony wanted to make sure they would not be taken over or ruled by other colonies. Also, each of these colonies were so different. In 1754, the colonies came together to discuss being one united country, but in the end, they actually decided against it because the colonies were all so different. Most of them had different religions and they all had very different cultures. It wasn't until Thomas Paine began to write about being a one country that some people from each colony started to see the possibility. But the smaller colonies they didn't want to be run by the larger colonies. Also, the larger colonies thought it would be unfair for two-thirds of the country to be ruled by one-third of the country. So what could they do? Well, they came up with the Electoral College. This did give more votes to larger colonies, but at the same time, it made it clear that you had to have the smaller colonies on board in order to win an election. On July 4th, 1776, America became a country. Now, July 1st, 1867, almost 100 years later, Canada became a country. It was actually just two years after the American Civil War. But 
We don't look to the Greeks. In fact, we just took the parliamentary system of the Brits and implemented it here in Canada. So for starters, we don't even vote for our prime minister. I know I have American listeners and you might not be aware that we don't vote for our prime minister. We vote for local representatives or our member of parliament. Now, whoever wins in our district gets a seat in parliament. And I mean an actual literal chair in parliament. When Canada started, we had 180 seats, but today there's 338. So to win a majority, you need to have exact, you need to have at least 170 seats. Now, to win without a majority, you just need to have more than the rest of the parties. Right now, the Conservatives are set to win with just 136 seats. So remember that number, 136. So seats are based on electoral districts, and each district has around the same number of people in it. This is closer to pure democracy than the electoral college that's set up in the states. Basically, it's based on a number of people and not on provinces. And Ontario has, well, all the power. Also, the large cities have the power and the rural vote really doesn't matter at all. Let me give you an example. Ontario has 121 seats. Remember, you only need 136 to win. So Ontario has almost enough to win the election completely on its own. But even more crazy, of those 121 seats, 55 of them are in the GTA. For those who don't know, that's the Toronto area. That means if you win Toronto, you basically win the election. So just to compare, the province of PEI, the entire province of PEI only has four seats. Newfoundland has seven. Saskatchewan has 14. Manitoba has 14. None of it has one. New Brunswick has 10. Northwest Territories only has one. And the Yukon Territories has one. Alberta has 34. And Nova Scotia has 11. Now, Quebec and BC are a little better. They have 78 and 42. Still, Toronto, just Toronto, has more seats than all of the other provinces except for Quebec. That means if you live in the Toronto area, the votes there, just that one small area, have more seats, think about that, than each of the other provinces other than Quebec. And in the rest of Ontario, there's 66 seats if you take out the GTA. But of those 66 seats, most of them are really just slightly beyond the GTA. Now, I live in one of those areas where I live just if I'm going to drive my child to gymnastics or my other child to track or driving to the kid's school, I'm going to go through like six or seven different districts because where I live, it's pretty packed in too. And yet there's other areas where you drive for hours and hours and you're still in the same district. For those who don't think immigration matters in Canada and why do we talk about that when it comes to elections? Well, guess where most of the immigrants live? That's right, in the GTA. So remember in Greece where they just voted to take away the rights of the other people they don't like? Hey, they even voted to kill them. Well, look at how the GTA feels about Alberta and their oil. There you go. The small GTA area wants to be all woke and green can easily just vote for Alberta to all lose their jobs and not be able to work in the oil fields. 
Why do you think that there's territories that don't even have clean drinking water? Not only not clean drinking water, their water is literally poisoning them. Well, they only have one seat. So win or lose, that giant area of Canada really means nothing. So why bother helping them? In fact, you'll notice that all of the candidates talk about the drinking water problem, but don't do anything. And that's all the parties. Do you know want to know why? Because the GTA is very woke and they want to know that you care about that drinking water problem, but they don't care if you actually do anything. So what do you have to do? Just tell them how sad you are about it and you'll get their vote, you know, in the area where there's tons of seats, but you don't have to actually do anything to help that giant area that has one seat. Newfoundland and PEI. I know I have some people in Newfoundland and PEI who are listening. Do you wonder why no one cares? Well, the two provinces combined are only 11 seats. That's nothing. I have that just in a short driving distance from my house. And that means the elite in Toronto who have no idea what it's like to live somewhere where you can't take a subway to get wherever you want. They want to vote to make our gas more expensive. This has left most of our country believing that they have no voice because, well, they don't. Now, I live in one of those areas that we actually vote very different each election. Every single candidate has been to a nearby city of where I live. But I bet most places in the Western provinces have never even seen a single candidate. Now, if this makes you mad, I'm about to add another layer. Currently, we have Justin Trudeau as our prime minister because Toronto is woke and votes woke. But anyway, his father was our prime minister many moons ago. And when he was prime minister, he made our official language both English and French. Now, only about 18% of Canadians speak both English and French. So you have to speak both languages fluently to be a prime minister or to be in cabinet or to be a federal judge or to have any bureaucracy job in all of Canada. That means our country is run by only 18% of the country. Only the elite people who speak both languages. And no one in the eastern or western provinces other than a few small communities that border on Quebec speak French. There is just no reason for a person in Alberta to speak French. And just in case you're not angry enough, in 2002, under the Liberal Prime Minister Jean Chrétien, who, by the way, I voted for in my first ever election, he passed a law that made it possible for every single person in prison to vote. That's correct. That means Paul Bernardo, if you're not from Canada, that is our worst serial killer in Canada. He's voting in this election and has just as much or actually more vote than I do since he's in the GTA area. The terrorist who planned on blowing up the bridge between Canada and the United States, they can vote. Also, they're in the GTA. The guy who shot up the mosque in Quebec, he gets to vote. So, today I voted. Next Monday is our last voting day and I find myself with the question, is our voting system going to do what the Greeks voting system did? Will the people in GTA, who most of them actually seem to be very hostile to our Canadian values, will they vote to destroy our country? 
So I've said a few times, I'm not really sure who I was going to vote for, and it was between the Conservatives and the new party, the People's Party. And I've had so many people write me and tell me reasons to vote the People's Party, and a lot of people writing me to tell me the reasons to vote the Conservative Party. And both people have very, very valid arguments. So in the end, I voted for the Conservative Party, and it was more of a vote against Trudeau than a vote for Andrew Scheer. But let me explain a little more. After our last election, when Trudeau won, I actually still liked Harper. I still like him now, and I really wish he hadn't have stepped down, but he did. So I ended up actually joining the Conservative Party. It was my first time joining a party. And I joined so I could vote for the next leader. It came down to a tight race between Andrew Scheer and Maxine Bernier. Now, Maxine Bernier is now the head of that new party, the People's Party. But at the time, he was running for the Conservative Party. Now, I voted Andrew. He was actually my third option. I can... It's very complicated to explain how you vote, but you vote for multiple people. And if your person drops off, then your vote goes to the next person. Anyway, my third option was Andrew. And when it came down to Andrew versus Max, it was around where my vote would have gone to Andrew. So I voted for him because he was both fiscally conservative and socially conservative. And I am also fiscally conservative and also socially conservative. However, through this election, he's proven to actually not be socially conservative and has instead tried to be politically correct and as politically correct as possible. He's also obviously sucked up to Muslims and even the most radical Islamists. He visited a mosque and has picture taken with a man who has videos on YouTube teaching the proper way to beat your wife. Now, clearly he did this because he can't win the GTA without the Muslim vote. And guess what? That's my problem. Those are not my values. I don't want to know the proper way that a wife should get beaten. And by the way, he got the party leadership because he pretended to have my values, or he is now pretending to have these more woke values. Either way, I don't like that he's not being honest or that he wasn't honest in the past. And either way, I'm disappointed. And I left the voting booth with a sick feeling in my stomach because I'm not actually sure if I voted the right way. But what I do know is this, every single election, and I mean every single election, whether it's federal or provincial, I hear the same thing. There is no one good. And even if you start at the very beginning of the process, like I did, you still end up in the same place. There's no one good. And the truth is, guess what? You're right. There's no one good. And I can find problems with Maxine Bernier, a lot of problems with him. And there are some that are better than others, but there is no one that's good. And try as we might, we're not going to find a leader who's good. But in the meantime, you have to go out and vote for the best one that's out there. You have to play the game that we are playing. You can't vote for an imaginary perfect leader that's not on the ballot. And guess what? If you live in the GTA, be super grateful because your vote matters more than anyone else's. And if you live outside the GTA and you're a little stressed that the GTA is about to vote your job away or vote to take all your money with their taxes so that they can have free stuff... Listen, you just need to know that God is actually in control, even if it looks like the GTA is in control. 
All right, I'm going to be back next week. For more blogs, videos, and podcasts, please check out laureliesiemens.com and especially check out my podcast, Church History. We're talking about the Crusades right now. It's pretty awesome. All right, remember, laureliesiemens.com. See you next week.